Welcome to Israel Week in Review with your host, Ben Ronsman. Today is Tuesday, August 3rd. We would like to announce a bit of a format change for this week. Rather than a half-hour program that includes both weekly news highlights from Israel and a deeper dive exploring history, culture, politics, and more, we've decided to split the podcast into two pieces. Each one will be approximately 15 minutes. These will be released on different days of the week rather than all at once. Today's episode will be a breakdown of the most important stories of the week. Later this week, stay tuned for the second installment of our deep dive on the history of Lebanon's Maronite Christian community. Visit IsraelWeekInReview.com to receive regular updates and hard-hitting content. Israel Week in Review is brought to you by Origin Story Marketing. Search engine optimization is essential in today's business environment. To learn more about how Origin Story Marketing can help customers find your business, visit OriginStoryMarketing.com. We will begin this week's breakdown of the news by highlighting a major breakthrough in Israeli politics. After three years of political instability, characterized by an inability to pass a state budget, the Israeli cabinet has finally approved a budget. In marathon negotiations that reportedly took 36 hours to complete, Israel's most diverse coalition has unanimously agreed on their budgetary priorities. The country has been operating without an official state budget since March of 2018. Israel has essentially extended the 2018 budget on an emergency basis due to an inability to assemble a coalition over two years. After an unprecedented fourth election, a budget has finally been hammered out. Passing a budget after such a long lapse is significant in itself. Bank of Israel Governor Amir Yaron has stated that the lack of an approved budget has hurt the Israeli economy. Passing the budget will significantly reduce uncertainty and bring stability to Israel as it recovers from the economic damage caused by COVID-19. The budget covers a 14-month period beginning in September. After the budget passes through a series of committees, it is scheduled for a final vote. According to Israel's basic laws, if the government does not pass a budget by November 4th, the country will be forced back to fifth elections. The cabinet has approved a budget of 605.9 billion shekels, or $188 billion in 2021, and 560 billion shekels, or $174 billion in 2022. Finance Minister Avigdor Lieberman has stated that the budget includes a number of structural reforms and major investments designed to reduce the high cost of living in Israel. One of Mr. Lieberman's signature reforms is designed to reduce the cost of foodstuffs. These reforms include opening up the Israeli market to the importation of produce and more grocery products from abroad. Throughout Israel's history, the agricultural sector has been protected from foreign competition. Israel's ability to produce its own food and develop its agricultural sector was seen as an important Zionist objective. Israel's kibbutzim and moshavim were seen as potent symbols of the Jewish return to the land. This emphasis on domestic production has also led to Israeli foodstuffs being amongst the most expensive in the world. Allowing the importation of produce from abroad will almost certainly reduce the price of groceries for Israeli consumers while simultaneously placing pressure on Israeli farmers. During budget negotiations, farmers were holding protests outside of the finance ministry. Israeli farmers have expressed major concerns over their ability to survive without tariff protections. The negotiations depended on a number of coalition partners achieving their policy objectives. This includes a record-setting $16.5 billion allocated specifically to the Arab community. This is a major coup for coalition partner Mansour Abbas and his Ram party. He has demonstrated to his detractors in the Arab community that a policy of constructive engagement 
with so-called Zionist parties can actually pay significant dividends to the country's Arabs. In addition to securing the largest budget allocation to Israel's Arab community ever, Mr. Abbas is currently in discussions to become Deputy Housing Minister. He will have the opportunity to build tens of thousands of housing units in the Arab community as a result. Merit's party leader and Minister of Health, Nitzan Horowitz, advocated for and received a $2 billion shekel increase to the Israeli health system. This $619 million increase will be used to help bolster a system that has functioned reasonably well under the strain of the coronavirus, but nonetheless has demonstrated some weaknesses. Israel has also agreed to increase the retirement age for women from 62 to 65. It will do so incrementally over the next 11 years. Israel's male retirement age is 67. Its female retirement age was amongst the very lowest in the industrialized world. With a female life expectancy of nearly 84 years, most economists have argued that this change was long overdue. The current change finally brings Israel in line with other advanced economies. The opposition, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, has been scathing in its criticism. Mr. Netanyahu has characterized this as the worst budget he has ever seen. Mr. Netanyahu and his Likud party, as well as the ultra-Orthodox or Haredi parties, will try everything in their power to ensure that this budget ultimately does not pass. They know that failure to pass the budget will automatically trigger an unprecedented fifth election, a path that Netanyahu believes is his only route back to power. It has been reported that the governing coalition has been reaching out to the Arab joint list currently sitting in the opposition. They hope to secure a handful of votes from outside the coalition in order to ensure passage of the budget. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, Defense Minister Benny Gantz, and Finance Minister Avigdor Lieberman have agreed on defense spending as part of the state budget. The defense budget has increased 9 billion shekels, or $2.8 billion, this year. In addition to replenishing weapons used in the most recent engagement with Hamas, this budget allocates money for civilian defense and veteran care. One such program is called Uniforms to University. It helps IDF veterans receive education and training after their service. And now on to some news from Jerusalem. The Israeli Supreme Court seeks a compromise in the Sheikh Jarrah property case. The Israeli Supreme Court seems to be moving towards a ruling on three contested properties in the predominantly Arab Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. These three properties, occupied by four Sheikh Jarrah families, have been involved in legal proceedings since the 1970s. The properties in question were owned by a Jewish foundation known as Nachalat Shimon, which operated housing and ran two kolalim, or institutions of Jewish study, for married men. The Nachalat Shimon neighborhood was a Jewish enclave before Israel's War of Independence. It was associated with the burial complex of the 3rd and 4th century Jewish sage Shimon HaTzadik, or Simon the Just. Its Jewish occupants were forced to flee their homes in 1948. The formerly Jewish housing then was administered by the Jordanian government, who worked with the United Nations to house Arab refugees from the 1948 war. The Arab occupants of the properties were never given title to those properties from Jordan. After Israel passed a law in 1970, allowing Jordanian-administered properties in Jerusalem to either be returned to their previous owners or become Israeli state-administered properties, the Sheikh Jarrah saga began. It has been winding its way through the Israeli court system for approximately 50 years. Although a lower court has approved the eviction of the four Sheikh Jarrah families, the Israeli Supreme Court has been taking a different tack. It seems to be indicating that a compromise position may be in the works. This would mean that the Israeli government would recognize the property claims of the Nachalat Shimon Foundation, but provide the property's current residents with a status as protected tenants in order to avoid eminent eviction. 
In fact, the residents would be registered as first-generation protected tenants. Protected tenancy is transferable to the second generation. This means that, in effect, the current occupants would be able to live in the properties for decades to come without the fear of eviction. Moreover, the occupants would not have to recognize the property claims of Nachlat Shimon. Rather, they would only have to recognize that the state of Israel recognized the property claims of Nachlat Shimon. This means that it is possible that at some point in the future, the Arab occupants may be able to reverse the court's ruling and reestablish their ownership claims. The Nachlat Shimon Foundation may also agree to the terms being discussed. They would have their ownership of these properties recognized by the state, albeit with protected tenants on the premises. It remains to be seen if both parties will agree to this compromise. In economic news, Finance Minister Yoaz Hendel and representatives from Google have announced the launch of a major investment in fiber optic infrastructure. The project, named Blue Raman, would have major implications for Israel diplomatically and geopolitically. The ultimate goal of the project is to link India and the countries of the Arabian Peninsula with Europe. Due to Israel's strategic location at the crossroads of the Mediterranean and Red Seas, it will be the conduit nation linking these two populations. Underwater fiber optic cabling will be run from Italy to Israel. The fiber optic infrastructure will traverse Israel and be linked directly to Saudi Arabia, a diplomatic coup in itself. An additional underwater cable system will then extend from Oman on into India. This project is anticipated to greatly improve internet speeds and connectivity globally. The fiber optic system will parallel the proposed Red Med pipeline. This infrastructure project would allow Emirati oil to travel by pipeline directly to the port of Ashdod. This would allow Emirati oil to find a European market while avoiding the Suez Canal altogether. When combined with Israel's natural gas infrastructure off its Mediterranean coast and the proposed natural gas pipeline to Greece, Israel stands to be a significant geostrategic player. Israel may be positioning itself to be a major conduit nation between Europe, the Arab world, and India. Such a development would dramatically enhance Israel's global soft power. This would almost certainly have profound effects on Israel's diplomatic strength. It could go a long way to help diminish the routine Western European condemnations of the Jewish state. And now in defense news. The shadow war between Israel and Iran continues to escalate. Last Thursday night, an Israeli-owned cargo ship named the Mercer Street was subjected to a suicide drone attack off the coast of Oman. There is near unanimity in defense circles that this operation was conducted by Iran. The Mercer Street is owned by Zodiac Maritime. This company is in turn owned by Israeli billionaire Eyal Ofer. The company is headquartered in London. Most of the crew of the ship is not Israeli, and a British and Romanian national were killed in the attack. The United States, the United Kingdom, Israel, and Romania have all pointed the finger at Iran. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has stated that there will be a collective response to this aggression. Despite Secretary Blinken's statements to the contrary, Israeli security officials do not anticipate any significant response from either the Americans or the British. This attack is viewed as a way for the Iranians to pressure the Americans in the midst of negotiations. The indirect Iranian-American talks taking place in Vienna are negotiating Iran's return to the JCPOA nuclear deal. In recent weeks, the Americans have expressed increasing skepticism that such a return is even possible. The Iranians, for their part, 
have become increasingly hardline in their approach. Ebrahim Raisi, a hardline cleric hand-selected by Supreme Leader Khamenei, assumed office today. This is seen as an indication of Iran's hardening position during negotiations. Israeli security analysts also doubt that the British will take any substantive action in response to the attack. Israeli security officials remember that only two years ago, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard seized a British tanker and held it for two weeks. Moreover, in 2007, 15 Royal Navy personnel were captured by the Iranians in the Persian Gulf and detained for nearly two weeks as well. In both cases, the British response was very restrained. There is little expectation that this British approach will change. Israel, however, has targeted 12 Iranian ships in recent years. The ships in question were primarily oil tankers en route to Iranian client state Syria. Moreover, it has been reported that these ships were ferrying explosives and weaponry used to rearm the Syrian state as well as Iranian proxy militia Hezbollah. A recent attack on an Iranian cargo ship in April was seen as a major Iranian Revolutionary Guard asset. The ship in question, the Savas, was reported to be a cargo ship that had been substantially converted to military purposes. Israel has engaged Syrian, Hezbollah, and Iranian forces in a series of bombing raids in Syria. These attacks have been designed to prevent an Iranian or Hezbollah military buildup near the Golan Heights. The Iranians have largely been unable to respond in the Syrian theater of operations due to Israel's aerial superiority there. They have been far freer to operate in the Persian Gulf shipping lanes, where Iran's naval presence and proximity to the targets is far more advantageous to them. This latest skirmish is the most recent salvo in a shadow war that is far from over. While we cannot predict what will happen next, we can predict future hostilities with near certainty. We hope that you have enjoyed this program. Please like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on any number of channels in which we operate. This includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Please stay tuned for the upcoming second installment of the Deep Dive on the Maronite Christians of Lebanon. This has been Ben Ronsman from Israel Week in Review, providing you with a breakdown of this week's news from Israel, as well as thoughtful perspectives on the region's politics, history, culture, and more. Visit IsraelWeekinReview.com in order to receive regular updates and hard-hitting content. Israel Week in Review has been brought to you through the generous support of Origin Story Marketing, helping customers find your business through search engine optimization. To learn more, visit originstorymarketing.com.